Thank you so much, Pastor. Uh, it's really a privilege to, to be back here. Uh, as we've kind of shared our journey together, it is interesting that we were talking about first time I came being single, then coming back uh, later with with a small baby, and then now to think that uh, God continues to, to grow our family. And so I think that's five years ago. So maybe that's what some of you, and now that's more of us today. So Eliza is 10 already. Uh, Ezra is eight, and Ezekiel, our youngest, uh, is four, quickly going on to five. And so uh, they're, they're here, as Pastor mentioned, and they'll hopefully be by the table. And uh, they're just, they had a blast yesterday hanging out with some of you and looking forward to today as well. So thank you so much for, for allowing us to be here and to share just a glimpse of what you guys are doing on this end uh, as we serve in Tajikistan. And sometimes the reality is, even though you know, we've come here and we've shared a little bit about Tajikistan. Sometimes when you say that, it's still like, really? Is that, is that a place? You know, Pastor, he didn't make that up, did he? He's not like just like making up some country and then going living in like Bermuda. So it is a real country. Um, it's what, if you're my age or older, you probably remember growing up in school learning about the USSR, the Soviet Union. This was the furthest southern extent of the Soviet Union. So it's a country that's just above Afghanistan, just west of China. So that's kind of where it is in the, in the world. But really, kind of what makes up Tajikistan? Well, Tajikistan is not real big, big. It's only a little bit bigger, say, than the state of New York in actual landmass. But it's 95% mountains. So it's basically the western edge of the Himalaya range. So if you're thinking like Adirondacks and like beautiful Poconos and trees, scratch that out and think Mount Everest. <laughs> so the mountains there are pretty, pretty stark. If you see some trees, it's usually because somebody planted them and there's a village there. And yet 80% of the people are living in the mountains because that's what the country <laughs> is mostly made up of. And yet the, the people themselves have been living there. The culture goes back to the days of the Silk Road going from Europe to China. Marco Polo went through here. In fact, even the, the language that we've learned to speak, the Tajik language, is very similar to what Daniel would have heard in the courts of the Persian kings. So there's a lot of history there. And yet, life goes on much the same way it has for thousands of years. Uh, the Soviet Union did bring in some roads and electricity, but they still spend most of spring through fall trying to get ready for the next winter and, and getting, you know, going through life as you have to to survive. Uh, taking out the, the boys, go up to the mountains with their goats and their cows and bring them back in the evening. And so kind of life goes on much as it has. And yet, things have also begun to change. Things do happen. Uh, partly because of the influences around them, the Soviet Union, for one, and then that collapsed and they fell into civil war. It was about five years of civil war. And then out of that, kind of the government was like, okay, well, we need to control the people. And so uh, the Soviet system, as well as the modern system, has uh, things like corruption that we like to deal with. And so when I say corruption, sometimes, I mean, as adults, we may think of something we heard of in the government or some contract that somebody got uh, from the government. But really, corruption in Tajikistan is a little bit different because it's just everyday life. And so everyday life means, you know, if on your way here this morning, uh, like us driving here, we would have easily gotten stopped maybe two or three times by a traffic cop on the side of the road waving us over wanting to see our documents, a license, registration, those kinds of things, saying, okay, looking for something that's out of order, that we missed, you know, our ecology card is expired or something. And, of course, they always have it so that the timing's not the same. So that there's going to be something most likely that you missed. And then 
if this, if so, then they can, you know, extract the, the fee or the fine for that. And if not, I mean, I, I try to be a law abiding citizen. So I try to have my documents in order and then they'll say, well, I guess everything's in order, but uh, aren't you going to give me something for lunch? I mean, I want to eat today. So think of corruption, not necessarily kind of like as something high, but as something that involves every part of how you do life. So if that's what it means to drive down the street or try to get something, you can imagine that when we go to get our visa, it's not legal for us to be missionaries, but we do go in as, as humanitarian workers currently. We've done business. But to do that, we have to go to this office and get a document and get it signed, and then we take it over here and get it stamped by a different office, and then we have to submit it at this office over here so that they give us our visa if things are going well. And, of course, at each one of those offices, you know, Somebody's got their hand out saying, well, you know, hey, you know, you want to help make this process easier, don't you? You want to get your visa sometime this year, right? And so it's just part of life. Uh, we deal with it. The people there are dealing with it. There's also just the normal things that we deal with, like trying to, you know, have clean water to drink. We, we have water filters, so we're thankful for that. But we still get tummy issues and things that happen, and our kids get it, especially if we go out to a village more so. Uh, there's also the reality of the, the increase uh, of the influence of Islam. The people themselves would say that they've been Muslims for over a 1,000 years. So that's part of their culture. But yet the reality is, is that so many men were working in Russia. There was a lot of influence from Russia. Over half the GDP comes from people working in Russia and sending their money back. Um, but when the Russian economy collapsed a number of years ago, the, a lot of guys came back and were like, well, we've got nothing to do. Well, what are we going to do? Well, let's go to the mosque. And so all of a sudden, Fridays went from being just kind of a normal day during the week to all of a sudden being the day when the markets were closed, where the mosques were begin to be full. Uh, used to drive by a mosque and there's some old guys with turbans going in and doing their prayers. Now the, the roads are blocked off, literally, because there's cars and people going to the mosque. So there's definitely been a shift there. And these are just some of the things that, that happens in the course of the years. And yet, in the midst of these realities, these challenges, is exactly what God has called us to, to bring transformation to. He's called us to shine the light into that. And um, I know you guys have seen snow before. There's a, a nice picture of, of snow on one of the main highways. This is the main highway between the two largest cities uh, in Tajikistan. So you can just imagine the throughway. Right? That looks just like it, uh, with, you know, 15 feet of snow on it. And uh, this is for two semi-trucks to pass. That looks a little bit challenging. Um, there obviously are other places, but uh, this is the, the, that road. And thank God for Speed the Light. We've got a vehicle that can actually handle it for all-wheel drive. Praise God. Thank you for those who have given. But, you know, I didn't want to just show you some snow. I mean, you guys have seen that, right? So, uh, But I feel like this picture really uh, illustrates what God has called us to do. You can't see down the road that far. You don't know what's around the corner. And there, Tajikistan is a place of spiritual darkness where there are, are, the enemy has been at work for a number of years. And many people have just never heard who Jesus is. They've never seen the light. And so God has called us to be willing to go to those places, to go. And as we go, to shine the light. And we, we can't see further than our lights go. But as we're, being, as we're obedient to go to that next place, we see that God shines the light through us and around us into those places. And some of that, as Pastor mentioned, we are through creative ways. We, for a number of years, we worked with a renewable energy company. And that means where I was up on roofs installing solar panels, solar hot water panels. But it means that we were able to go into villages that didn't have electricity, didn't have uh, some resources, and then actually go to those places and work with them during the day. You can see some of the, the villages are not, it's not all city, uh, as I mentioned already. So there's another main route that we were on and uh, going up to several villages. And then, of course, where the road ends, uh, 
you know, there's still villages beyond that because they've been there before there were cars, right? <laughs> the donkeys can still go. And so I think there's a nice, what is that, a Hotel Six over there? Um, yeah, there's nowhere to stay. And so when we go up, we work in villages. Then uh, more often than not, someone will invite us in and we stay in that home. And then we've got all evening to drink tea and to share the hope of Jesus Christ, to talk about the real source of power, the one who really brings light into the world about Jesus Christ. And so even as we're doing our, the business, we've had opportunities to share the gospel as we go. That's really our objective. We haven't made a lot of money, I'm sorry to say. But, but we've been able to go into some several valleys and vi- villages and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, another way, more recently, as we've kind of joined in with the humanitarian organization, is working with children with disabilities. Again, this is a similar idea um, where children with disabilities are often kind of sidelined and forgotten and, and kind of left to themselves. And so often people say, well, why do you want to see my child? But we've been able to go in and do medical assessment, rehabilitation, uh, working with them, sometimes providing uh, medical apparatus, a brace for a girl with scoliosis, things like that. But then each time we go, we're able to share the gospel with that family, to talk about the value that God has in these individuals, how he formed them and made them, not just to, to sit there, but that he wants to show and demonstrate his love in them and to them and through them. And so that's been really neat to, to be able to share the gospel in these homes and with these families. So other ways are sometimes even ways that I don't know if this church participates in Operation Christmas Child. Uh, some of that have are get those shoe boxes together, put the toys and the gifts and the socks in there and pens and whatever. And some of those actually do show up in Tajikistan. We're able to take those to schools, take those to communities, use that as a way to open the door to get us in. Uh, but then also then to invite the kids to a home and share the gospel there, to present the gospel. Sometimes we do it with singing or drama, different ways. And then to also give them, if we have the opportunity, to give them a Bible in their own language. Uh, And often that's something that's very special. Uh, They usually have never seen a Bible. It's not that they don't have one at home. It's that no one in their family has even has one or seen one. And so this is a neat treasure that they can then take home and, and read with their siblings. And often we'll see them kind of even on the way home, kind of flipping through it and looking at the pictures and reading the stories. And so that's something that even states, uh, churches here in America have par- partnered with us and allowed us to, to share the gospel in that way. Uh, there's so many things that, that God is doing and um, don't want to make it sound like I'm just off running into villages all the time, although that is part of what I do. My, my wife is busy as well, not only with the children, but also working with uh, a women's rescue center called Caravan of Hope. It's a place that women that are coming out of human trafficking, literally being rescued out, uh, sometimes from India or uh, Thailand or even locally, or just from domestic violence, can come and there's actually a safe house for them to live in with their children. Uh, But then also at the training center to get vocational training, to learn how to make a living on their own. And some of that is with the cooking classes. There's now a cafe that's working to help them learn those skills. sewing, there's jewelry making, and some of you, I think last time we were here, actually got some of the, the jewelry that was made. We didn't bring any this time. Sorry, guys, if you were hoping for that. But So these are just some of the things that are happening there, but really, again, the focus is that as these women are able to come out of that, those desperate situations, to find hope and healing in this place where women are ministering to them, women that love Jesus are their house moms and are able to share with them. And then that's why I'm not directly involved, but uh, my wife is and others to really demonstrate and speak life into these women. And then to see that transformation take place, to see these women that are, are coming in in fear and, and uncertainty 
from their situation and then begin to meet Jesus and begin to live that fullness of life, that hope that transforms and to see them come into church and then begin to worship. See their, their little kids to come and, and worship Jesus is, is something that only God can do. And we're thankful for what he's doing in Tajikistan. Out, out of all these things, we really feel like that's our calling is what has already been mentioned this morning to go and to make disciples. As we share the word in, in villages, as we go and we take it, our, our objective is always to see God's word go out, but that the disciples would be raised up. Isn't that what Jesus said? To go, therefore, into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then there's a promise, right? I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So I just wanted to, to highlight one, one story because... I think it helps illustrate that a little bit. And there's several different people groups in Tajikistan. And what that means is, I think upstate, you know, here in the Rochester area, you know, I think sometimes you can go to different parts of town and people may speak a little bit different. Um, But in Tajikistan, there's actually different languages. So you can travel to a different part of the country, a different valley, literally, in the mountains. These are, And so, and find people that speak a different, completely different language, and maybe the culture, the dress is even a little bit different. Now, obviously, similar, but uh, they don't, and they don't have the Bible in their language. They don't, they've never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, one of those groups is the Paria language. Uh, they actually live in Tajikistan as well as some parts of Afghanistan and Pakistan. And up to two years ago, there was no known believers among the Paria people. Um, but in partnership with Wycliffe Bible Translators, they wanted to do a video project. And so they were working with this one village, and some people came out to help translate and prepare the video work. And as they were going, this one young man came, and he was began to be part of the project and working with them. And he saw them, and they were kind of like when they were, even when they would just have a meal, they'd pray. And he was kind of looking at them like, that's a little bit odd, kind of not how I pray. And then they would start their, their session or end it with prayer. And he's like, well, I've always wanted to know God. I, I've always wanted to feel like I could get closer to God, but I, I do my prayers. I, I do them five times a day, and, I, and I, I pray to God the memorized prayer that I know I'm supposed to do. And my father has read from the Quran to us as a family, so we know what it says. And, and we've done that, but I've never felt any closer to God. But he says that when you pray, it's like you're talking to him. How do you do that? Well, so... Because he does know Tajik, we were able to share a Tajik Bible with him, and he began to get it, and he was reading it, and each day he'd come back with a question. Well, what does it say? What does it mean when it says this? Is, is this really what Jesus said? And, it, and day after day, he would come with more questions and, and find answers, and one day he finally came back and says, well, well I want to meet Jesus. Okay, yeah, let, let's, introduce him to, let's introduce you to Jesus. And so, so he met Jesus. He was so excited to, to actually get to know the creator of the universe, the one who formed the world by his word and yet wants to know him and has invited him in to be part of his family. And so, so he took the Bible home and he began to, to read it to his wife. Uh, his wife can't read. And so they would just read it together. He would read out loud and the kids would sit around and read. Well, she liked what was going on with her husband and how excited he was. So she wanted to meet Jesus. So she got saved. And so they're talking and the, they're sharing these stories. Well, then she got kind of excited too. So she went and talked to her cousins. I mean, it's all family, right? It's a big kind of community. So she's talking to her cousins and, and they said, well, well, we want to know that. We want to hear that. So they started coming over and listening to the stories that they were reading and they would pray through it. And, and so, so they wanted to know Jesus. They got saved and then their husbands found out. And their husbands were like, wait a minute, what's going on? 
I mean, yeah, we're all family, but you know, I don't know what's going on over at your house. So they started talking to my friend. We'll call him, we'll call him Zach. And so we're talking to Zach and saying, Hey, uh, you know, we heard that they're going over to your house and reading from that corrupt book and, and hearing blasphemous stories about Jesus. And we, we, we can't tolerate that. We can't have our wives going over there and doing that. And so he said, well, I think God gives wisdom. And he said, well, why don't you come over and, and see what it is for yourself so that you know exactly what it is, and then you can decide for your families. And he said, all right, well, okay, well, we'll come over. So they came over, and, and they did the same thing that they'd done every other time. They opened up the Bible, began to, to read a story from it and translate parts of it into the Tapadia. And they're kind of listening and and like, oh, that was interesting. I, I never heard that before. And they're like, well, we kind of like to hear a little bit more. He said, well, okay, well, why don't you come back next week? So they did. And th- after a couple of weeks, they're like, yeah, we kind of like what the Bible says. We want to hear some more. We, we like who this is. We want to know more about this God. And so they also begin to follow Jesus. Uh, his father is actually living, they live in the same house. And so he really wasn't too excited. He knew that his son was working with the foreigners. He had even worked a little bit with them and was kind of standoffish and was like, well, I'm not really sure if this is the right way. I mean, obviously he was the one that was reading the Quran to his son previously. He's like, well, but, you know, he didn't really have anywhere else to go. Besides sitting in the room by himself drinking tea, it was either that or be in their group with the, the story time. And so he would hang out and and after a couple of weeks, you know, someone would come up and he'd say, well, you remember two weeks ago, we talked about this story. And then uh, a little while longer, he said, well, you remember, you know, when Jesus was talking to the crowd, he mentioned this. And so he began to reiterate and restate this, the stories that he was listening to. And, uh, and one of those stories that they were talking about, and my friend read, was about the, the Ethiopian who met Philip and had gotten baptized. And so my friend comes, he says, hey, I, I really want to get baptized. And this is what the Bible says we're supposed to do. And so we said, okay, well, that's fine. It's, it was wintertime. And we said, well, maybe you want to wait until springtime. There's not a really good place to, to get baptized. We don't have anything inside the building, no baptismal church, you know, things in a church. And so we said, well, why don't you wait until spring? Because in Tajikistan, there's this deathly fear of the cold. And so, you know, you wrap your babies, even in the summertime, they're usually kind of so hot, they're kind of lethargic and sweating. But, you know, and this is why when it's 110 outside and I'm sitting, I, I'm drinking hot tea, uh, for those of you that pulled out that bottle of water out of that fridge, I know. It's, I'm very sorry to hear that you're going to be so sick for the next month. But um, that's just how they, they think and they believe. And so I said, well, you know, it's okay if we wait till spring. You know, God, God knows your heart. And he said, no, I believe I need to get baptized now. If the Jesus that we're reading about can heal people, surely he can take care of me in the cold water. Okay, God, increase my faith. What was I thinking? Of course he can, yes. All right, so we, we set it up so that it was going to be baptized, him and his wife, and we got a local brother to, to help do it. We want to always have locals baptizing locals so that they can baptize others. And so they went down, they baptized, baptized you in Jesus' name, and then together they baptized his wife, and they got out, and they were starting to get dried off and kind of trying to warm up a little bit. And he said, but wait a minute, doesn't, didn't Jesus say we're supposed to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And, and my, my local brother over here is like, yeah, but in Acts, it talks about that they were baptized in Jesus' name. You know, it's okay. You know, we're following Jesus. And he said, no, but that's, that's what Jesus told us we're supposed to do. Okay. Back into the cold water. <laughs> baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And his, and his wife as well. 
not only to be baptized, but teach them to obey what I have commanded you. Right? A disciple is someone who's hearing it and obeying the word of God. And I'm excited that there are disciples being raised up in Tajikistan. Today, among the Paria people, there's close to 25 people that are gathering together, worshiping God, praising his name. And not this past Christmas, because we, we were here. The Christmas previous, actually, I think is the next slide. And um, it was the first Christmas celebration that these people have ever celebrated. Isn't that neat that they were actually celebrating the coming of Jesus as Savior into not only to the world, but into their lives, bringing transformation to them and their culture. And so we, we, we you know, had a party. I mean, we had a party. But they were also got up and they were singing songs and reciting scripture in, in their, their own language as well as in Tajik. And it was such a joy to be a part of that and to see the joy in their faces as they were experiencing who Christ was and is to them. Um, his father, who had kind of gone on this journey, one day he says, well, in the spring, he said, well, I want to get baptized too. And we're like, okay, well, usually if you're going to get baptized, it means you, you repent first. And you, you, know, you want to choose to follow Jesus. So, yeah, of course that's what I've done. Yeah, he had gone on that journey <laughs> and, had, and had come to faith in Christ as Jesus says he participated in the experience with his, his son and daughter-in-law. And so we're thankful for what God is doing there and for what he, we believe he's continuing to do uh, in the country of Tajikistan. Uh, I, I sometimes get so carried away with telling the stories, and I'm thankful for what God is doing. And the reality is, is that there are, there are other areas where we are specifically going. We're going to Turkmen villages, and we're going to Pamiri villages. Uh, I can say other names, but you know, after a while it just it loses its meaning. But there are other groups of people who, to this day, there are no known Turkmen believers in Tajikistan. And so we're excited and celebrating what God is doing, and yet we realize the task is not yet done. There's still people that need to hear. And so our goal is to go to those places. Um, I think I'm getting a little carried away with myself up here, but I I did want to look at a passage this morning. uh, If you'll permit me to do that, and we'll kind of shift gears a little bit, because I I don't want to miss something that I believe God has for us. It's maybe not the passage you would pick out and be like, oh, that's a great missions passage. It's from Exodus 17, and you're kind of like, oh, man. I okay, well, let's see, let's see where he's going with this, because I'm not really sure. And this might be one of those stories that you've, you've heard of before. And so we're going to kind of do a, a quick summary journey, if you'll permit me to do that, because I realized that um, I was talking so much about Tajikistan, I'm kind of running away with myself here, but... If we are going to show up in Exodus 17, where I want to look at real soon, we kind of have to know the background, because otherwise, it, you know, it kind of we're not sure all the things that are going on. And so, um, maybe some of you have heard of Moses, all right, and the, the the nation of Israel, and they Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they ended up in Egypt, and then they for 400 years they were slaves there, and then Moses shows up on the scene. And he thinks he's going to help them, but then he ends up running away and ends up in the desert. All right, so some of that may ring a bell. And then out in the desert, he's, uh, he meets somebody, gets married, goes on with life, and becomes a shepherd. And so he's got his staff, and all of a sudden, he meets God, so to speak, right? He sees a burning bush, and he goes near it, and suddenly, there's a voice that comes out and says, this is holy ground. He takes off his shoes. God is there. And God is saying, okay, now this is the time to go and to save the people of Israel from Egypt. And he's, well, who am I? How am I? What am I going to do? And God tells him to take the staff that's in his hand. 
and to use it. And he throws it down. He does a miracle. And God says, okay, now take that staff with you and perform those miracles in Egypt. And so, so he does. He goes, he talks to Pharaoh, puts the, the staff down, and it becomes a snake and eats up the other snakes uh, from the magicians. And then it's that same staff that God says to use again and again to, to strike the, the Nile and to turn it to blood, to strike the waters and it becomes blood, to strike the dust and it becomes gnats. And so perhaps you recall some of those plagues that came uh, on Egypt. In fact, we were just watching something yesterday about deserts and all the, the locusts that come through on, on planet Earth. And it kind of, our kids were like, oh, is that what it's like? I'm like, yeah, pretty much. It's kind of a, a visual image of what was happening in Egypt. And these, these plagues that were being brought and, and kind of the, the instigator was often God saying, use your staff. That became a symbol of God's judgment on Egypt and in God's power to bring the people out of Egypt. And so again, they're going and eventually they get out, right? The, the Egyptians are like, get out of here. We're tired of all these bad things happening to us. And so they do. And they get out and all their people in flocks and they finally get there. And now they're to the Red Sea. And they're like, whoo, we did it. We're out. All right. Thank you, God. You got us out of there. And then all of a sudden behind them, they hear the chariots. And they're like, hey, Moses, uh, not very good military strategy here. You know, we got out, but now we're all going to die. And God says, take the staff, strike the waters. And something happens. He made a splash. No, right? God opens up the Red Sea, and these millions of people with their flocks cross through on dry ground to the other side. At this point, the Pharaoh's not surprised. And so he chases after them and gets, it gets washed away. And so this is kind of some of the things that were happening, right? As God was instructing Moses and, and saving his people. And they on the other side, they're saying, finally, we're free. We are now a nation of our own. We've been set free from Egypt, uh, but we're in a desert. Uh, yeah. Thanks again, Moses. This is really great, but uh, we've got nothing to drink. Again, God instructs Moses, take the straff, strike the rock, and water flows out of this rock. And not, not just a little trickle. We're talking enough for millions of people and all their animals to, to drink and provides for them. And so that's kind of where we end up in Exodus 17. And we're going to kind of look at it real briefly here. And I draw out a few points that I think are pertinent for us today. And so this is kind of where the people are when we get to Exodus 17 and verse 8. It says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Okay, pretty straightforward. There's a plan. They get attacked. I mean, there needs to be some kind of response. And so we don't see where Moses goes and inquires of the Lord or something happens. They just say, hey, look, this is the plan. I'm, I'm the spiritual leader. I'm going to go. I'm going to take the staff of God in my hands. We're going to go up on the hill and pray. You, you're the general of the army. Get your sword, get your armor, and go out and fight. Do, do what you know you're supposed to do. Let's get on with it. And so in verse 10, we find out uh, Joshua does. He says, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held on his hands, held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. I mean, if we read it like that, it's it's a pretty short story, right? I mean, two paragraphs. And, and you can kind of just read through history a bit like that. Say, whoa, okay, yeah, that was neat. Okay, yeah. They got attacked. They came. Moses has this plan. Okay, they do it. They fight. Yay. 
But if you are willing to kind of look at the text, you realize that the story took a while. I mean, this was an entire day. They got attacked. They make some plans that evening. And so, again, there's no direct instruction from God. They just say, okay, well, let's do what we know we're supposed to do. Moses is like, okay, I got the staff. I'm going to go up there. And he takes Aaron and her. Joshua, go out and fight. And so early in the morning they do, right? Here's Joshua. He's got his men. He's got his armor. And he's, he's going out and he's beginning to uh, de- defend their, their people, right? I mean, their tents, their, their flocks, their families, their children. They're all there. So he's going to defend their camp from these attackers, from the Amalekites. And so there they go. Right, they're fresh, they're ready. Maybe they had some breakfast. And they go into battle and they, they begin fighting. They're pushing forward. Right? Okay, we know God's with us. God's called us out. He's, he's already defeated the, the Egyptians. We know he can do it and he's with us. All right, let's go, let's fight. Right? And they're going, they're, they're fighting and they're, they're pushing forward and doing what he knows he's supposed to do. I mean, when you go into battle, you don't you know, go in and then turn around and be like, oh wait, is the other guy doing his job up there? Right? He's not looking up on the hill to see what's going on. He, he's down fighting. And so Moses did, he, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He goes up on the hill, he's there. And we know from Scripture that Moses is, is an intercessor. Time and time again in Scripture, he's there and he's praying for the people and he's saying, pleading with God, be with them, forgive them, allow them, save them, protect them. And so I'm sure it's no different. He's up there and he's saying, God, be with them, be their shield. Be, let them be quick in battle. Let them be victorious this day. Protect them as they go. Be the shield around them. Let their swords be swift. Right? And I'm, you can imagine that he's up there praying. And after a while, I don't know about you, but it does happen to me. You know, after maybe, for, for some of us, you know, it's 10 minutes, you know. We run out of words. Some of it's a half an hour. Some of us, maybe, you know, you can pray the whole hour and you, you really feel like you've pushed through. But after a while, you kind of reach the end. And so Moses, at some point, we realize that he's kind of, he's prayed. He's up there. He's looking out. And maybe he's chatting with Aaron and her. And he's prayed. He's got the staff. He's doing what he said he would do. And Joshua, again, is down here fighting. But in the middle of fighting, they, they begin to get some pushback. This guy over here gets, gets hit. This person gets struck. And they're, they're getting, feeling like they're starting to lose ground. But they're, they're still fighting. They're still going. And, and the cries begin to go up of somebody getting struck. I'm not trying to paint a, a bloody picture or anything here. But this is, this is war, right? I mean, they are in hand-to-hand combat. And so something's beginning to happen. And they're, they're not gaining ground. They're not really winning this battle anymore. And at some point along the way, the cries are going up enough so that Moses up here on the hill begins to hear it. And, I, and I'm sure just like any of us, if we hear our, our kids cry out, I know my son bonked his head this morning just as we were trying to put our shoes on. And he's cried out. It hurts. And, you know, and so my wife took him in her, in her arms. And so I'm sure that just like that, he was saying, oh, God, what's going on? Be, be, help our people there. I'll be with them over there. Don't let them get pushed back. Don't, don't let any more people die this day. God, we, be with them over there. Oh, God. And he begins to just pray and intercede again for, for the, the people that are fighting. And as he's, he's praying and interceding, unbeknownst to the people down here, they don't know what's going on up there, but they begin to maybe have a little bit of strength again. They begin to, to push forward again, back into the enemy territory, back against the Amalekites, pushing against them. Now, for sake of time, I'm not going to keep acting now, but I wanted to engage you into the, the, the Scripture text this morning because we actually don't know how many times that happened. Again, right? We, there's, no thing, there's nothing in the text that says that God said to do this or how he instructed them or that, hey, by the way, Moses, if you have your hands up, you're going to win and if you have them down, you're going to lose. No. 
They didn't find that out until how many times? How many times did it have to be between Joshua pushing and losing ground and them praying and then resting before someone realized there's a correlation here? There's a connection here between what you're doing up here and how it's going in the battlefield. There's a direct relation. And at some point, they realized it. Up to that point, it wasn't that they had done something wrong. It wasn't that because Moses got tired, it was his fault that they were losing. They did not recognize the connection. But when they did, they did something about it. They took a stone, put it under Moses. He sat down. They held up his arms. They were actively engaged in the process once they recognized their responsibility. What does it say afterward? It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses, sorry, Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Write this down so that Joshua hears it. Where was Joshua again? He was in the middle of battle. I mean, you don't turn your back in the middle of a battle. But it says that he fought from sunrise to sunset. He was fighting all day long. He was worn out. He knew that God protects. He knew, but he was the one that I was out there fighting that war, that battle. But God said, make sure he knows. The commander of the army, the one who is going to lead the people into the promised land, his very first battle, he needs to know that the reason why there was victory was because there was hands that were raised to heaven. Because the Lord is our banner. He's the one who goes out in front. He's the one in whose name we fight. He's the one in whose name we can find protection in our shield. Make sure Joshua knows that. All right, so thank you for (laughs) walking with me on the the, the story part itself. What does it mean for us? Can, Can we draw some conclusions for us today? I mean, this is missions emphasis week, right? I mean, Really? I mean, okay, battle, yeah, I mean, I can draw some correlations. Have we lost sight of what God is doing, of how God works? We've forgotten that he's made us into a body. And he's said that there's different parts, but we all work together. And the reality is, is that there are times that we may fit into different titles or groups categories, if you will. Sometimes we're the ones that are on the front lines. Maybe you sometimes feel like you're the one that's right on the front lines and you're, you're just going for it. And it's hard to even know what's going on in the spiritual realm because you feel like you're just so engaged in the battle. Perhaps you feel like God's called you and he does have you to, to intercede for others. I'm thankful for my wife's great grandmother. She just turned 101. She prays for us every day. She's one of those that is on the mountain praying. I'm so thankful for her. But have we forgotten that there's a connection between the two? That there's a responsibility? They had a calling. Moses had a calling to lead, to be a spiritual leader. Joshua had a calling to go and to fight. They, they did not, they couldn't leave their task. They, they need to be obedient to that. And yet there's sometimes we forget what's going on in the other place. The reality is sometimes on the ground, we're going into villages and I'm doing things and, and America seems a bit far away. I, it's not on the, the front of my mind thinking about what's happening in a church. Sometimes we're going in and, you know, it's Sunday and there is no church to go to. Maybe we have the opportunity to meet with a, a handful of believers in a community. And I'm thankful for that. 
But what you guys do here has a direct correlation to what is happening on the fields in Tajikistan, in those valleys. And if we are going to believe together that the Turkmen people of Tajikistan are going to hear the gospel is because of something that you are engaged in here. And so I'm not trying to, trying to pull something out of my ear. This is, this is what God is, is helping us to understand, that there is a connection. As you guys pray, as you guys are willing to, to be obedient to God and, say, and willing to sacrifice and say, we are going to engage in this. Even if we're not the ones right there fighting the battle, we are going to engage in the way that we can. We are going to call down the power of God in that place. We're going to pray until we can't pray anymore. And we're going to gather together and we're going to hold up each other's arms and say, God, we want to see breakthrough. 70 missionary groups and and organizations, that's great. Thank you so much. Praise God for what he's doing through you. But don't let just the the check that you write or or the go on the computer and make the donation. Don't let that be just the extent to which you are willing to go. Don't just go up on the mountain and say, oh man, at least we have a nice view from here. But let's engage. Let's pray together. Let's, Let's be one force. Because what you give every month, that's what allows us to keep going. Army without supplies is a dead army. And so when we go, we don't come back every year. We, we go there for four years. And, and when you give every month, that's what's keeping us. That's what's putting gas in our, in our vehicles. That's what's putting food on our table. This is real for us. So thank you for, for investing in us personally. But also want to invite you to engage with what God is doing as a family of God, as a people of God, that he's called out and he wants there to be others. The ones who are getting attacked, the ones who are on the fringe, those who are, are, are being left behind like the Turkmen people. God is aware of them. He wants them to hear the gospel too. And so he's sending out his army to go, to invade those places of darkness, to invade the attack of the enemy. But we can't do it on our own. And that's the simple message that I wanted to leave you with this morning is that thank you for investing, thank you for sending us, for partnering together. But the partnership that is day in and day out, that transforms lives and communities, is what is done through prayer. And so on your way, please do grab a a prayer card. It's got a picture of me and my family, and I think my kids are kind of cute too. Um, But not only to pray for us, but to pray with us, that God would open up doors of ministry, that God would break down those barriers, those walls that we sing about. Sometimes we're like, God, win. But as we join together, I believe that God is going to go and invade those places, those hearts, those communities, where even today, maybe we're not always welcome. But I believe that God is going to open the door so we can take that light into those dark places. So thank you for participating with us, for partnering with us. Thank you so much, Pastor, uh, for allowing us to come to share what God is doing and what I believe he's going to do in Tajikistan. Thank you, Pastor. Great work. Thank you so much. That was a great word. Thank you, Steve. And, you know, I'm just reminded again how important um, the, the partnership we have. I think we do forget that sometimes. We're over here and just reminding me again of traveling in those villages and and how prayer uh, is so vital in and breaking down those walls and that's how we can partner um, with the missionaries is obviously uh, by praying for them and connecting with them so make sure you keep your your, your bulletin from today and pick up one of their prayer cards as, as you as you as you leave and 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 just make it a priority um, uh, to, to pray. Uh, for our missionaries, it's so vital. What a what a, a what a great word! And I, I think sometimes we feel 
it can get lonely or we feel like we're all alone. But how many, how many of you, when you know somebody's praying for you or someone says, hey, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you or we ask for prayer, how many, how many of us know that gives us so much strength knowing that someone is praying for us, uh, that God is doing that work, that we have that peace within our heart and we wonder where did that come from? It's because of prayer. And so um, uh, that's one vital, vital way that, that we can partner with the missionaries is through prayer. So thank you, Stephen. What a great, great word. I needed to hear that this morning. That was good. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad God spoke that to my heart. We, um, we want to bless the, the Groshes. We're going to take a special offering uh, for them and their ministry and, and what they're doing in Central Eurasia. And so um, there's a couple ways that you can give. If you write a check, just write to Living Word, and uh, we'll make sure that goes to them. You can also um, text to give. If you can throw that up there, you can text to that number. If you already done that, uh, have done this, this is real easy. If you haven't, it will just prompt you, and you can sign up for it. So the next time it will be easy-peasy for you. But what you will do is you will text the amount than Grosh. So just if you text to give, just text the amount, whatever it is, and then just Grosh and, um, and uh, all those, uh, all the giving will, will go towards um, their ministry. So I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come at this time and, and the ushers are going to come at this time. And would you just pray with me? Uh, would you stand with me? And uh, we're going to close in song and uh, just thank the Lord for his goodness. And we want to pray for their ministry and what God is doing through them. And as they travel to churches and uh, reconnect with uh, churches that God would continue to bless them and, and be with the garages. Make sure you stop. They're going to be at the table uh, after the service. So make sure you stop by um, and ask them uh, questions. Uh, and um, I'm sure they'll love to answer those for you. So would you just pray with me? Father God, we just thank you for this word today. We thank you for the garages. We thank you for what you're doing with them in Tajikistan. And God, I just pray Lord, that um, all the faces that we saw on the slides today are, are people who were reached because someone went to them. Someone shared the wonderful message of Jesus Christ with them. And I, I was just reminded as all those people were sitting around that table at Christmas time, our lives that have been changed because someone was called and someone went, someone prayed. Lord, help us to be proactive. Help us to be engaged and not to forget. I know it's so easy to get caught up in our own lives and the different things that we're going through in our own lives. But Lord, I pray that we would be engaged in knowing that there are so many, just as Stephen shared, that have not even heard the gospel once, that don't even have a Bible or have never even seen a Bible. And Lord, that just pricked my heart again of how important it is for us to pray and to support and to send. So Lord, help us to be engaged in that way. And Lord, we just pray your protection over the Groshes as they continue to travel around the United States and as they go back to Tajikistan. God, I pray you'd be with them, cover them, God, and guide them, anoint them, God, with your power uh, as they continue to share the wonderful message in that country. We love you, we thank you, and we want to be careful to ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen.